I started it. Welcome. I'm happy to see you all here tonight. Again, I'm happy to be here. Some of you have come for the first time, possibly, in this series. Maybe some of you don't even know that uh, this has been a meta series going on. This is the fourth week, and uh, we've been practicing together, and we've been studying together, and we're not ready to wrap it up. As a matter of fact, we've barely touched into it. So before we go any further, I would like to embarrass somebody who's here, who is Sue Dirksen, if you'd like to wave your hand. She is responsible for the very first Metta class I ever took, which was probably 10 years ago. There's probably a group of eight of us who came together once a month to study. We mostly studied Sharon Salzberg's book, The Art of Loving Kindness, but we were also to practice in between. And we took one category at a time. We started with ourselves. We went to the benefactor or teacher, and then a friend, then a neutral person, and then finally a difficult person. And for me, it was a really transformational practice, and it still is. It just doesn't stop changing and growing in some very unexpected ways. Everything seems to interconnect. You know, sometimes people talk about the practice of mindfulness and the practice of loving-kindness. Forget that. They're completely entwined. Completely. They go together. They support each other. They don't exist without each other. And so practicing metta, you have to practice mindfulness. And practicing mindfulness correctly, you have to practice metta. And as we've talked about before, there's the formal practice, there's informal practice, and there's also probably the most important practice, which is developing an attitude of openness, of kindness, of goodwill, not just toward you, not just toward others, but toward every aspect of your experience, everything that comes up. That means everything belongs. The worst thoughts that you have belong. The most difficult emotions that you have belong. Your obsessions belong. Everything belongs. Nothing is outside the realm of what belongs in this practice. And it's this combination of mindfulness which draws our attention to what the experience is and this kindness toward the experience itself, an openness, an allowing, a heartfulness that allows you to experience it fully, fully without having to change it, without having to push it away, without having to grab onto it, without having to change yourself, without having to get rid of anything. You don't have to improve yourself. You don't have to become a new, improved you. 
You just have to love yourself as you are. You just have to get to know yourself as you are. And everything else takes care of itself. So we have to be able to pay attention to what's truly arising. That's the mindfulness. And then we have to greet it with some kind of kindness and goodwill and open-heartedness. And that's the metta. So I'm going to start with a poem by Rumi. It's one of my favorites, and I find myself reading it a lot. And I also find that it comes up as support to me. And maybe you know this poem, too. It's very well known, The Guest House. I decided that I was going to commit this to memory, which I haven't done yet, but it seems like a worthy goal. So here it is. And so just let the words drop into your heart, into your mind. You don't have to figure out anything, whether you like it or not, whether it makes sense. Just let it enter. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival a joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all, even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture. Still, treat each guest honorably He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice. Meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. So let's settle in, and we'll begin our sitting. I'll ring the bell, and I'll give some guidance. During this sitting, if you become uncomfortable in your position, feel free to shift with great attention. And also feel free at any time to open your eyes if you're sleepy, or to stand up. So I'll begin. And you begin too by fully absorbing and enjoying the sound of the bell.
So let's begin just with a very gentle, soft breathing, allowing the breath to move through the heart. And as it moves through the heart, it softens and softens. Each in-breath is like a gift received. And each out-breath softens, extends the sense of giving out that goes through your whole body. Taking in and receiving the breath right through the heart. Breathing out. Letting it spread through the entire body. As you breathe in, there's a lift in energy, a brightening And as you breathe out, there's a relaxing. So as we turn our attention toward the formal practice of metta, You may have already developed your own series of phrases and your own preferred way of doing this practice. And if that's the case, you can do your best to let my words fade into the background of your awareness. You're also welcome to do any practice. You're not limited to metta if you have another practice that you prefer. We first turn our attention toward ourselves. We start here every time because we so need the encouragement. All of us tend to be critical, judgmental, with voices in the background saying, you could do more. This is okay, but... Or maybe that wasn't very good. You really don't know what you're doing. Because those voices are so common to us, 
we start by offering all the kindness, all the friendliness, all the goodwill to ourself. May, I, may my heart know its own goodness May it know it. May I touch my heart with kindness. May I be safe in this moment. be contented and at peace just now. May I care for myself with ease. You can use these phrases or any of your choosing. It could be it just, may I accept myself as I am. You can repeat the same phrase over and over again if it speaks to you. You can say one word or no words. Just drop the phrase, the word, or the feeling into your heart like a pebble in the pond, feeling the ripples, feeling the reverberation from that well-wishing. And during this sitting, you can continue to only send phrases to yourself, you, the deserving one. Or you may go on to a teacher, a friend, a neutral person, or a difficult person, depending on what the need is right now. Remembering, even if it's irritation that arises, even if it's boredom that arises, even if it's ill will that arises, greet it like Rumi's visitors in the guest house, like an honored guest to be treated honorably, kindly, lovingly,
It's only for this moment, this one, and this (coughs) one, just this moment, may I be happy. Am I happy in this moment? May I be safe. Could I be safe in this moment? Just this moment, that's all. You are worthy. You're deserving of this love, this kindness. It's said that the Buddha traveled the whole universe and could find no one more deserving than you are yourself of your love. No one's more deserving than you.
It's said that if you smile just a little bit, that you actually relax the 300 facial muscles. And when you relax the 300 facial muscles, you are also relaxing your nervous system. Just a slight curving of the corners of your mouth is enough to do it. And though you might be sending phrases and wishes and aspirations to yourself, if you pause a moment, you might sense the feel of this room. Your practice affects everyone here. Our practice together creates an energy field of mutual support and kindness. And it doesn't stop here. It reaches far beyond this room.
You can take a stretch break for a minute, and then I'll ring the bell in silence, please. And if you haven't picked up the Metta Sutta, or if you need the, a few words about metta, go ahead and pick it up now. Welcome again. Welcome to all of us. I hope you have all arrived. Sometimes it takes a long time. Sometimes it takes me the first good part, maybe even much more than half, to arrive. The first part of my meditation. And you know what? It doesn't matter. Whenever you arrive, that's the right time. We have busy lives. We have many things that pull us in so many different directions that when we finally get the chance to sit, if we really relax, sometimes we just go to sleep. Or sometimes our mind is so restless it won't let us settle. And maybe it's not till the very end that we feel a little settled, and that's just fine. That's not a problem. It's really good to make the effort the effort is really important. We don't, we're really not in charge of the results. We're only in charge of the effort and the intention that brought us here and brings us to practice time after time. So one of the things that I notice a lot is that it's so hard for us to accept ourselves, accept our experience as it is, We have a lot of ideas about how we're supposed to be, how we should be, how we could be better, the new improved me. And um, we often want to try to get rid of parts of ourselves or rid of certain difficult emotions or we want to hold on to what seems to be good. And it's really a recipe for suffering, for great suffering to do that. So we're advised over and over again to bring this attitude of kindness, of generosity of spirit, of heartfulness, of openness toward ourselves and our experience. And this is not a selfish act. As a matter of fact, it's completely critical that you do that. 
Because if you do not feel kind toward yourself, I can tell you, you will not feel kind toward others, especially when others are having a hard time, or are difficult, or are irritating, or do things that is really not right. It would be very difficult to approach any of that with a kind attitude if you don't approach yourself and your own experience with a kind attitude. What you do, how you are toward yourself, affects others. It spills out into the world. We feel that we're very self-serving, though, when we you know, uh, direct these kind thoughts of happiness and well-being toward ourselves. But as I said once before, there's the image of the pools of water at the side of a mountain. The first pool is filled with rain. That's you. And it's only when that pool spills over into the next and the next and the next that there's water left over for your regard for teachers or friends or family or loved ones. It's a little like if you want to help other people or if you want to be kind to other people, you want to give something to other people, like if you wanted to loan them money but you didn't have any money in the bank, it really wouldn't work very well. You need to take care of the resources of your own heart so that you are available to others as well, yourself and others. There's a story that Sharon Salzberg tells. This is the author of the book, Loving Kindness. She worked extensively in Burma with her teacher, Upandita, who said to her one day, what would you do? This is something I want you to really answer. I, I actually thought of having you meet together in dyads to do this, but I didn't want to do it because it might seem like setting you up. So I didn't do it. You'll see why. So he said, you're walking along the road and you're walking with um, a teacher and you're walking with one of your best friends. You're walking with someone you don't know very well and you're walking with someone you don't like at all. And all of a sudden, a robber comes up and grabs you around the neck and holds a knife at your throat and says, you have to decide which of these people is going to die. I'm going to kill one of them and you are going to be the one to decide. So she couldn't decide right then. She went back to her room and she thought and sat and contemplated and she was sure that she was supposed to come up with maybe the difficult person or the one she didn't like or maybe the neutral person. So the next time she came for her interview with Upandita and he asked, well, what's your answer? And she said, I couldn't decide. I didn't think that there was anyone who should die and I didn't think I should either. 
She was sure that that was the wrong answer. She was sure, she, actually, she should have chosen herself. She should have sacrificed herself. So why don't you think for a moment, who would you choose? I'm not going to ask you to answer that, but just in your own mind, just, do you think you have a, a choice? Well, she finally answered, and she said, no, I couldn't answer. I have no choice. I couldn't choose me. I couldn't choose a teacher. I couldn't choose a best friend. And I, I couldn't choose someone I didn't know. And I also couldn't choose someone I didn't like. And actually, it was the right answer. Because she is as important, and you are as important as anyone else. So you're not the right person to, act, to volunteer, and nor is anyone else. So this question doesn't have an answer. But it was interesting that she went through it, and she was very convinced that she hadn't done it correctly. She was sure she was supposed to pick herself, but she couldn't. She had kind regard for all beings equally, which is what metta is. It's kind regard for all beings without discrimination, for those you love and those you don't love, even for those who you find really difficult and odious. It's because it's a quality of the heart. It's not about liking somebody or loving someone in the way we usually talk about it. It's not about an intimate relationship, and it's not about a friendship. It's just not hardening your heart against anyone. So there's a short teaching. This is called No Ill Will. And this comes from the Anguttara Nikaya. I'm going to read these lines to you, and then I'm going to tell you what they say, and and give you a very short teaching, which is um, why no ill will is important. No other thing do I know on account of which unarisen ill will does not arise, and arisen ill will is abandoned, so much as on account of this, the liberation of the heart by loving-kindness. For one who attends properly to the liberation of the heart by loving-kindness, unarisen ill-will does not arise, and arisen ill-will is abandoned. The words are almost like a tongue-twister, aren't they? Basically, it means that there is a way in using this practice that if there is a latent sense of ill will, that it's not going to show up. And that if it has already shown up, that by using this loving-kindness practice, it it will thin out and dissipate and disappear. And this is called liberation of the heart. So I'm going to explain a little bit about that and tell you why that happens. In Buddhist thought, the mind is something that unfolds bit by bit, moment by moment. 
It's not a thing. It's a process. And it unfolds just moment by moment like drops of water. And each mind moment is a complete picture. It's a complete project in and of itself. And that mind moment arises. And when it arises, it arises with something else. There is the point of attention, that's the mindfulness, and there is the attitude that arises with it. And it might be an attitude of goodwill or ill will. But also, in Buddhist thought, you can't have two mind moments that arise at the same time. Nor can you have a mind moment of goodwill arising at the same time as a moment of ill will. So what that means is that if in a moment there's, say, the practice of loving-kindness is going on, or an attitude of, of of uh, goodwill or kindness or friendliness, there can't be ill will at that very moment. Now, it may only be a moment, but when we practice, we do this moment after moment after moment after moment, and those drops of water become a little stream. We're developing a mind state by doing this. We're crowding out ill will. There's no room for it. And if you remember when we've spoken of ill will before, it's felt in Buddhist thought to be dangerous for the person who has it, not for the person it's directed against. It's like holding a hot coal. It burns. It hurts. It damages. So this means that in every moment we actually have a choice of how we're going to regard a moment of experience. We can greet it with openness, friendliness, even this moment. (laughs) It's always at this time when it's the hardest to turn off. So should we be mad at Steve? (laughs) Should we say, what a bad thing to do? Couldn't you have turned that? No, we don't have to do that. I think probably a few of us have also had that experience. So, no. We can use it as a mindfulness bell. We can use it because things arise all the time that could be very irritating or surprising, shocking to the nervous system, And if you prepare yourself for not having ill will, of just saying, oh well, whether it's yours or someone else's. Thank you. That was really right on cue. (laughs) Great example. Yeah. And so right now, as a kind of a little exercise, think of somebody who you can think well of, someone who you have a kind thought of. Just picture that person and, and, and uh, get a feel for him or her, or if it's a pet, for your pet. And notice that when you're feeling this way, there's, there's no ill will. Not at all. 
and now switch. Find something or someone that is irritating to, to you or for you or a difficult person or situation to deal with. Notice even what's happening in your body if you can. Sometimes there's a feeling of tightening up, closing down in the chest and in the gut. And notice if you're irritated with someone, it's very hard to have kind thoughts toward them. So this is something to try out in your experience out in the world. If you're feeling kindly towards someone, there's no room for ill will. And if you're feeling irritated or angry with someone, there's not a lot of room for goodwill or kindness or friendliness. So it's an advanced practice, you know, to um, deal with someone or something that's extremely difficult with a attitude of openness and friendliness. But it's possible. It's entirely possible without pretending. We're not trying to pretend. We're not trying to make really difficult experiences be easy or non-existent. We're not trying to do that. We're trying to see them as they are, but we're also trying to have the most open, spacious attitude as possible. And when it's not possible, when you blow it, when you are angry, when it's not with that kind of attitude, what then? then you greet that with as much kindness as you can. You greet your own anger, your own resentment, your own failing, if that's what it is, with kindness too. Everything belongs. Everything in your experience There's nothing outside, nothing outside this realm of attention, mindfulness, and kindness. We need a lot of help. We need a lot of encouragement. I know I do. And so, if you can, continue to do this practice on your own, with friends, with others, with children. It's a lovely practice to do with children, not the formal part. There are lots of ways of doing it. And see what happens over time. We have to give it time. See if you find that there is a shift in your ability to be kind to yourself and others.
So I'm going to read that poem one more time, The Guest House. Another encouragement for greeting whatever happens in your experience with an open heart. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all, even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture. Still, treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice. Meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. So let's just sit for a moment. So I'm going to change the order of what we're doing. We'll end tonight with the Metta Sutta, which we'll chant together. I'm going to start with announcements, and then I'd like to hear from you. I'd like any questions that you might have you can ask, or any comments you have to make. Something that worked, something that didn't work for you something that's clear or something that needs clarification. I guess the one thing I'd say is what surprised me, and I don't know why it did, is that four weeks is like the introduction to metta. There's so much, and it feels like in some ways we've done so little, but we've met together, we've practiced, and that's probably the most important thing. And I also want to let you know that there's an evaluation here. And I'd really appreciate it if you filled it out. It doesn't matter if this is your first time here or you've been here every time. It actually asks you that question. And it's just, you know, you can fill it out in five minutes or there's an opportunity to write more if you want to. And it will also be coming out online if you don't have time, if you've signed the list for 
the mailing list for Vipassana Santa Cruz with your email. Um, I don't want you to fill it out both online and here, but if you want to spend more time on it, you can wait till it comes out online, which should be today, I think. And the other announcements are that there's going to be a day-long practice session for Metta on May 7th, and it's called Metta, Liberation Through Love. And it will be from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. right here. You don't have to make a reservation. And um, if you haven't sat a day long before and you're a little nervous about it, don't be. It's really user-friendly. There's movement, there's sitting, there's lots of opportunity for asking questions and uh, enough guidance and enough silence. If you have any other questions about it, though, you're welcome to ask. I'll be teaching that. And then also, there is the Vipassana Santa Cruz Residential Retreat, which is going to be May 25th through 30th. And that's over Labor Day weekend. And um, it's also another great opportunity to, to practice and to extend your practice. And just to let you know two things. There is scholarship money available. And the other thing I'd like you to know is any of the money that you donate tonight toward teachings, there's two baskets out there. One is for the expenses of the Sangha, and the other is for the teachings. Anything you put in the teachings basket will go toward scholarship for the retreat. So if you have any sense of wanting to contribute, it's a beautiful way to do it. It's really a way to make sure people get to practice. And maybe you'll be the recipient of that, too. So that would be lovely. And if you have questions about that, is there anybody here who's been on that retreat before? If you have, you can ask any of the people who are raising their hands. And I think that's all my announcements, but I know, Linda, you had an announcement, too. I'm going to leave some announcements here a flyer for a fundraiser I'm doing on April 30th, and it's going to benefit Tibetan elders living in a refugee camp in India. And I'm going to have slide show presentation. And you can take one of these. They're also online, is that right? They are online. Okay. I don't know if it's hard to remember the website. Okay, well, we'll just... And if, if there, we run out of flyers and you want one... I bet Linda will bring some, more. bring some more. Yes. Does anyone else have an announcement? Okay. Um, Denny, do you mind turning the lights up so that the folks back there can see a little bit? Thank you. So this is your turn to ask questions, make comments. Um, it can be about tonight or any of the other uh, sessions that we've had. Tell me your name again. 
Michelle, thank you. Could you speak a little louder, please? Sorry. Sure. I think it's that's why I think we emphasize it a lot, how difficult it is. It truly is difficult for most people, not everywhere in the world, but in the Western culture, we're particularly, we believe in the individual, and we don't see our interconnection so easily. And we think we should be able to do everything on our own. And if we fall short of that expectation, we're pretty hard on ourselves. And as I said, this is not part of human nature. It's only part of our cultural conditioning. And we're really working against that cultural conditioning by doing this practice. But also, if it's particularly difficult for you to work with yourself, for sure, you can start, even though the standard practices to start with yourself, you can start with someone who it's really easy for you to practice with. You can start with a teacher or a best friend or a mentor or someone you don't know but you admire. And you, you know, admire their qualities. People start with the Buddha or Kuan Yin or the Dalai Lama or a particularly important teacher. So you don't have to know them. Someone who you can feel something for. for. And you know what? This, uh, this open heartfulness doesn't come automatically. We don't get to turn it on and turn it off. And so it may be that you feel numb. And it may be that when you direct those well wishes towards yourself, you not only feel numb, you might feel... you know, angry or resentful or un- unbelieving or all of those things. And it's just another part of metta to even look at that as belonging. Those feelings of doubt, those feelings of, or those feelings of being numb or angry or whatever it is. It's just what is at that time. But in terms of the formal practice, you don't have to start with yourself. But there should be some intention to come back to yourself, knowing that you're the hardest. I know I'm, you know, there is the category of difficult person. That's me. I'm my most difficult person. So I don't know if that's helpful or not, but you have permission to start it where it needs to start and to have it be easy. Easy. We are kind of tough. So yeah, start with something easy. 
And then we did do a few things before, if you remember, to kind of soften things, to see ourselves through the eyes of someone who loved us dearly, or to see ourselves as a child. You can get a picture, a photo of yourself as a baby or a toddler, a young child, and put it up there. And that's the you you can send metta to. Thank you. Bruce? Well, one of the traditional phrases, and one that I use a lot, but it doesn't always resonate with me, is, may I take care of myself happily. And um, last Saturday, I pretty severely uh, injured my hamstring, and um, I've definitely been doing a good job of taking care of myself, but not always happily. And just noticing that the moods and the tendencies to tell stories about how long I'm going to be laid up. And, um, and I, I'm very aware of them, but um, I don't seem to be able to, um, as you know, <laughs> living with me, uh, able to deal with it happily all the time. And so uh, that, I'm trying to open to that too, and to just allow myself to be unhappy about it when I am. And when I do that, I do feel better when I can just allow myself, keep the mindfulness of the moods, and uh, allow them to be. It's hard. That's a, that's a really difficult lesson, isn't it? Being okay with not being okay. <laughs> that's what it is. You're allowing yourself to feel disappointed, sad, resentful, unsettled, agitated. But it's true that if we try to get rid of them, we don't actually get rid of them. We actually intensify them most of the time. I didn't mention, but I've, thought, I've taught this a lot of times, and I think it's probably helpful for right now. There's an acronym called RAIN. Do any of you know this one? And it's interesting, as I was just thinking about it, I actually think it's another combination of mindfulness and metta. So RAIN stands for, the first letter is R, and that says recognize. That means you have to know, you have to look at what's really coming up in your experience. You can't pretend it's something else. If you're feeling upset or angry or fearful, you can't pretend it's not there. That won't work. You have to see it. Oh, this is fear. Or this is, maybe you don't even know what it is. Maybe all you know is it's right here, lodged in your gut. Or it's here, lodged in your chest, and it hurts. Or it's tight. Or maybe you're feeling something in your eyes are burning and feeling like they're going to tear. Maybe that's as much as you know and you don't have to know more. But you might know sad, or you might know fearful, or you might know angry, 
So you have to notice something is going on. And that's what R is, recognize. And A is accept. So I think recognize is a moment of mindfulness. You're focused on what really is. The A, acceptance, is a moment of loving-kindness practice. It's where you're opening, softening, trying to let it be. Just letting it be without changing it, modifying it, grabbing onto it, or pushing it away. It's not active either. It's not an active accepting it. It's just letting it move through, letting the energy move through. And the eye of rain is investigate. This is another moment of mindfulness. Investigation, what does that mean? Well, where is it? Where is it located in the body? Is it intense? Is it mild? Does it spread out? Does it come together? Does it shift and change? So this is investigation. And as soon as you investigate something, no matter how difficult it is, your interest is there. It's interesting. And again, that's a part of loving-kindness practice. Excuse me, mindfulness practice. And the N is for not-self, or not taking it personally. And I think this is another form of loving-kindness practice where you're not saying, oh, it's my fear, what's wrong with me? I should be able to do better than this. It just is an energy that's arising and will pass in time. It's not yours. It doesn't belong to you. It just is something that comes into being and it leaves. So this rain has been very helpful to me and I hope you could think about using it or try it out and see if it's helpful for you too. It actually works with physical pain beautifully. It works with emotional pain beautifully. So I can just encourage you to try it out. Any other questions or comments you'd like to make? As we sit here, don't worry that nobody's asking a question or has a comment. Just enjoy the sweetness of our being together. 
knowing how what we're doing right now is tremendous support. It's so supportive. We come here together. You've chosen this instead of something else. You've chosen to try to make this practice of kindness become a force for you in your life. And in doing that, you create the possibility that it might be so for others as well. We're both unique, and we are individuals, and we are also completely connected. Each of us wants to be happy, and none of us wants to suffer. So part of our practice is in exploring that, finding out, well, what is happiness anyway? What is happiness that's free of special conditions? And what is suffering? When does it happen? When does it end? (coughs) Because it's not something that happens sometime in the future. It happens moment by moment. Right now. Right now. I think it's time to chant the Metta Sutta. So, does everyone have a copy? No? Some of you have not chanted this before, so... And some of us know it. The little carrots, the black triangles underneath a word mean you go down a tone, and the ones on top mean you go up a tone. The lines underneath mean you hold that word. There's only three notes. So I think we'll just start, and you can follow along as best you can. And if it's possible, which may not be possible, to feel the sense of these words, then do it. But if it's not possible, just sing along and enjoy Enjoy it the best you can. I'll do the first line, which is in parentheses. And we'll start from there. Now let us chant the Buddha's words on loving kindness. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, 
humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove, wishing in gladness and in safety. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living things there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another, even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child. So with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downward to the depths, outward and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, freed from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding by not holding to fixed views the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.